0: Oh, hi. Pizza delivery, sausage lover pizza, extra thick, with extra thick and spicy sausage. Oh. Yes. Hi. How much? $6.99, please. Oh, fuck. I forgot to go to the bank today. Is there any other way I can pay you? I just don't have any money right now. Well, I'm not leaving until I get my payment. I'm so hungry. Isn't there anything I can do to make it up to you and pay you? Well, I suppose there is one thing. I'll do anything. You can pay me by taking my thick Italian sausage, dirty girl. Mm, I can't wait. Oh my god, she's such a slut, that Ellie Ray. All she does is talk about sex. Welcome to my brief history of pornography episode. I've been excited for this. I've also been super intimidated by this. So just bear with me this episode. It might be a little rough in spots, but it was quite a challenge to integrate everything that you have to with this subject as massive as it is. I mean, it it has history in it. It has technology in it. It has laws in it. It has ethics in it. It has all of that kind of stuff. And I do just want to make a statement before going into too deep that this episode is not intended to be my commentary or my opinions regarding porn. I can guarantee that there's going to be some bias that shines through, but that's not my intention. It's not my intention to take you through, you know, what I think about it. Is it good for you to watch? Is it bad for you to watch? Anything like that. It's just supposed to be a brief history, some interesting tidbits through time, what is considered pornography and like ancient worlds, all that kind of stuff. And then, like, you know, obviously the last pfft, like 70 or so years have been intense for the world of porn. So that's just what I want to talk about today because you know, as I touch on these subjects in the podcast, I think it's also really interesting and really good to kind of go into you know, the other side of things, the less fun side of things. I think it's fun. I had a great time putting this together. But you know, more of the statistics-based stuff and all of all of that. I do also want to note towards the end of this episode, I will talk a little bit about like the legality stuff, ethics stuff which there's huge social discussions and debates around, as at least as far as the ethics stuff. But again, it's part of history, and it's just to talk about the societal discussions that we've had. And also, I want to note that I'm mostly talking about, when I get to that part, it's going to be mostly U.S. I include other countries, but it's going to be mostly the United States, just because, man, there there is so much. There is so much out there. It would have to be a multi-part episode in order to talk about it all. So without further ado, let us, let's dive into some of the history. I repeat, some of the history of pornography. And for this episode, we're kind of going to define porn as representations designed to arouse and give sexual pleasure to those who read, see, hear, or handle them. Good stuff. So our story actually begins with cave art, artistic drawings, decorative pottery, and sculpture. And it very, very, very begins with what is called the Venus of Willendorf. This is approximately 28,000 year old rock sculpture. It depicts a woman with enlarged breast. like really, really big breasts if you look it up. <laughs> but statues such as this one Are believed to have been used in fertility rituals or even massive orgies (laughs) and they would smash the sculptures in celebration of their sexuality considering that practice of smashing these little sculptures it's kind of really amazing that we have any I'm also considering it's 28,000 years old you guys it's it's crazy that we found and we have this preserved piece And so I would definitely encourage you to look up the image. I really enjoyed this particular part and some of the stuff to come of compiling this episode because the art just shines through so much. And it's kind of different than the hardcore pornography that. The majority of porn consumers today indulge in. We can really value this sculpture and these pieces without necessarily using it for sexual pleasure, and that's not to say that today's porn isn't artistic at all, but physical statues like this are something I really enjoyed personally. So if you follow my personal <laughs> Instagram, you'll probably see a couple posts That include sculpture, like pornographic sculpture art around the world, because that's stuff that just kind of fascinates me and I think is absolutely beautiful. In the 1980s, we discovered petroglyphs dating back 4,000 years ago in northern China. One of the more popular ones of these displays, like, multiple hourglass figures, so women, (laughs) pointing to or dancing for a man with an erect penis so another figure where you can obviously see has an erect penis funny enough doesn't really sound all that different from sexual desires and fantasies we see today if i do say so myself but again it's incredible that we are able to view these still today and preserve this art and these pornographic images More pornography from 4,000 years ago comes to us from our beloved Babylonians who considered sex to be a highly religious act that was a way of worshipping their gods, and you might remember this from my previous history episodes. Not only do they have a rich sexual history to learn about, they also left us some porn. One of these pieces is a plaque made of terracotta and it depicts a man inserted into a bent over woman woman and he even has a hand in her hair don't you love how relatable porn from 4000 years ago is <laughs> but however so the difference is well at least for for me that scholars believe this is one of if not the first display of anal sex so it was also for them for babylonians they believe a popular form of birth control because there was so much anal sex going on in their society they even depicted in their porn that they believe that the babylonians might be one of the first cultures and like ancient societies that actually understood that vaginal sex led to reproduction which is pretty cool pretty interesting of course anal wasn't actually their only form of birth control they used but considering other ancient forms of birth control, which include animal dung, mercury, or, and lead, uh, lemon juice, which all would get inserted into a vagina. I honestly think I'm of the opinion that anal maybe was one of the best forms of birth control. I, God, I just know that thinking about those other possibilities makes my vagina hurt. Thinking about, like, a lot. I have, I mean, Come on, it's hard enough today's day and age with the medical advances that we have to keep reproductive organs healthy and thriving. I can't imagine the hell that would be induced from putting those things up your vagina. Okay, okay. We're going to we're going to move on. Move on. All right, the Greeks. We know they are far from shy and the porn they are famous for is artistic ceramics that they used. So the reason they had so many of these is because they did a lot of trade with neighboring cultures, and for them, they mostly traded olive oil since it was so abundant. You have to put olive oil in something, and so because this was professional trade, they brought in master artisans who created masterful scenes on pots, and a lot of it was very sexual. It includes group sex scenes, homosexual acts, and like... All the different sexual scenes and positions you could think of today, they thought of back then and they put it on their pottery, they put it on ceramics, they put it on these beautiful, beautiful displays. A few other interesting shout outs that I personally ran into while developing this episode, and I want to highlight. I don't have a lot to say about them, but I think they're cool pieces is porn left behind from other cultures, including Mesopotamian votive plaque, okay? And this shows a man entering a woman from behind while she drinks beer from a straw. I find that one quite fascinating because I'm not gonna lie, I might be a little bit, tiny bit, eensy weensy bit interested in in like replicating this piece. But then we, another shout out is we see the goddess of sex and prostitution-inspiring works of pornography from Middle Assyrian through figurines representing a man penetrating a woman lying on top of an altar, a scene that I'm a bit less enthusiastic about replicating, but also one, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning. Since so many cultures combined religion and sex differently than we're so used to with Christianity today in history, I just... Every time I run into sex being so closely associated with religion and like worshiping their gods, and then I'm so used to Christianity today when we're like, sex is bad and shameful and dirty and you can only do it when you're married. All of those conflicting like narratives with different cultures and different religions are just, I mean, to me, to me, that's fascinating. To me, I could read about that kind of stuff all day long and I'm super interested in that history. So I wanted to give that a, a shout-out. And it's definitely not um, solely to this culture that's super, super popular. I mean, if you listen to my previous history episodes, that is definitely a theme in, in history. In the city of Pompeii, pornographic images were all over the place. They were on the walls of commercial buildings, and these were highly, highly detailed. They are considered the first of its kind they're so detailed nipples and pubic hair can be made out and they were three-dimensional so these were so these are so incredible and it's so such a blessing that we have these still standing to look at today and to study today i mean pompeii was known as a place where prostitution was legal sex slaves were abundant Public sex in bathhouses was common. So, I mean, it only makes sense that pornography would have been a big part of their culture and it's a big part of their history as well. I mean, not all of this stuff is pretty, obviously, sex slaves, but it is a deep part of history that, you know, considering what that city survived, it is, um, yeah, it's a miracle that this stuff is still, still standing and that we can still look at it and celebrate that it's still here today and and learn about them and learn about their history next our story lands on mache of peru this is interesting because everything i read about the mache of peru says hey we don't have very much knowledge about these people or their culture they didn't leave very much behind we don't know much about them but something they did leave behind and thankfully for this episode Some of their porn survived. And so some of the stuff we have been able to make out about these people is their, you know, some of their sexual acts and what it meant to them due to what they left behind. They made elaborate pottery that depicted all sorts of sexual acts, including oral sex, including solo masturbation, and lots and lots and lots of anal sex. It was also depicted. So much so that it's actually theorized that they perhaps were also aware of how vaginal sex leads to reproduction and one of the first cultures who really understood that. But that is just a theory. We don't actually know that like we know about the Babylonians. Uh, It's just theorized because there's so much anal sex that, you know, it, it makes sense. But let's start moving into a time of porn and pornography that maybe is a little bit more recognizable to the world that we live in today interestingly enough that leaves us looking at the middle ages so this is a long period of time so we're going to be looking kind of towards the end of the middle ages we do see erotic literature popping up erotic literature complete with images created for sexual satisfaction and it is specifically created for sexual satisfaction so it is pornography and during this time you know the church had a very strong stance on sex but i find it Very um, ironic that it's also very well known and was known at the time that monks and nuns, other religious leaders, would regularly consume pornographic material even while the church was attempting to destroy it all and stomp down on sex and criminalize sex. One author in particular in the Middle Ages really stands out, a Frenchman, Marquis de Sade. He is famous for this work 120 days after Sodom. written. His written work is so dark, so sadistic, and so pornographic. It, he includes a ton of objectification and abuse towards women, sodomizing women, homosexual acts, choking and whipping his servants, orgies, sexual slavery, so much more, and horrifically sadly his work was far from fiction he was known during this time to be doing these acts that he was right about to be part of this stuff like he really really embraced the the kind of stuff that he was writing about which is horrible considering that list that i just (laughs) just mentioned but uh he faced sexual assault charges and he ended up being placed in a sanitarium and he stayed there until he died this is another one of those things that I don't want to dwell on too much in this episode. While it's important to note that, uh, that pornography through time has always kind of included this negative side, it's important not to dwell on it either because I will get upset and angry, and that's not what this episode is about. This episode isn't about really diving into that. It's about looking at the history and understanding that throughout history, there's always been there's always been this kind of negativity towards it as well let's continue our journey through porn into the 1500s we are catching up to modern day aren't we the famous 16 pleasures becomes what is considered to be the first published porn in rome pretty cool it's a compilation of 16 sexy engravings by giulio romano the first edition was supposedly all destroyed by, Catholic, by the Catholic Church, although some fragments seem to have survived. Although the second edition adds an entire another layer when Pietro Aretino wrote pornographic sonnets to accompany the images. Uh, Mr. Aretino also wrote some other pornographic material in his lifetime, including the Ragionamenti which is a dialogue of Roman prostitutes discussing the moral failings of important men in the city. I could not shout that out, you guys. I could not bring that up considering this podcast and what the podcast talks about a lot of times because I just, I can't help but feel a teeny tiny bit of amusement that some of the first written and published porn was by a man thinking about what prostitutes must talk about and how they must obviously slander their clients why mr aretino is that a bit of fear shining through no no couldn't be (laughs) this is when if this wasn't a podcast and if you could see me i would have been like wink wink (laughs) Anyway, moving on. So now we're getting closer and closer into modern day. We get to 1748. What is considered the first ever original English prose pornography in the form of a novel is given to us by Mr. John Cleland, or Cleland, not sure, uh, but it's published as Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure, or better known at the time as Fanny Hill. This novel is one of the most banned books in history. Surprise, surprise. Due to, quote, corrupting the king's subjects. Now, I think, you guys, this is something that you should look up if you're interested in the contents of it, but it is considered pornographic material, and it is something relevant to the history of pornography. Now, we're jumping to 1826, when photography was in it. However, it wasn't commercially available until eight, the 1860s. Naturally, with photography comes erotic photography, something I enjoy <laughs> this present day. As photography progressed and became cheaper to mass produce, pornographic mazine- magazines enter the scene. One in particular called Photo Bits was a British softcore pornographic magazine Uh, which was, like, the first of its kind. It was alive from 1899 until 1914. However, it got a lot, a lot of hate, a lot of backlash. The editor faced arrest and prosecution from hostile forces worried about the public's purity. This seems to be a theme, too. You know, pornography really is taking down the morals of people, apparently. So, of course, this episode also wouldn't be complete without a shout out to playboy it was the first mass market softcore pornography and so that wasn't started until 1953 so the very first of its kind photo bits a british magazine didn't survive very long which was started in 1899 and it wasn't until 1953 that you see a porn magazine really start to thrive i find that very interesting, especially with the history in between 1899 and 1953 and the kind of stuff that was involved. So that's photography. Of course, film also enters our story. It was invented in 1895. And just like photography led to erotic photography, we have uh, film leading to pornographic film. One of the earliest of these pornographic films was a seven-minute striptease named Le Couture de la Marie. I'm not going to try that. I'm not going to try to use a French accent with that because my French accent is terrible, even after four years in college. Anyway, that was directed by Frenchman Albert Kirchner. It wasn't until the 1920s that full-on, like, sex would start to be recorded and that was even for just personal use until then it was just mostly nudity and tease and that was what delighted the camera and you didn't you didn't see like any anything hardcore up until you know the mid 1920s and even then like I said personal use and it was also just like private private showings but more on that soon. So let's not forget to mention some of the first laws set in place surrounding porn. So you have a lot of religious pushback. You have a lot of, you know, being worried about the people being corrupted. But it's not until 1857, which were already passed in some of this stuff, right? But that's when the first act is is enacted. And it's the English Obscene Publications Act of 1857. And it was the first criminalization of pornography, urged by, of course, the Society for the Suppression of Vice. Everything back then was like, this is a vice, this is immoral, this is bad, this is, it like not, this is affecting the people's purity, blah blah blah, right? So this organization promoted, of course, the morality in England, and this act made the sale of obscene material a statutory offense and gave courts the power to take and destroy that material. The American version was the Comstock Act of 1873, and that made it illegal to send obscene, lewd and or lascivious materials through the mail. Okay? This actually had like crazy implications at the time also talked about in Sarah Chadwick's book. So definitely go back and read that. But so this had crazy and like implications as far as the distribution of all sorts of all sorts of content even even so, like a lot of educational material or what could be used as educational material was impacted by this which is very interesting and the the like kind of how, again how it impacts women's pleasure is very interesting and that's talked about in in Sarah Chadwick's book so definitely go check that out but no one thought to define what obscene meant which is kind of why so many like specific things would end up being targeted while other things weren't targeted and it was just kind of a mess until the court case in 1868 where English courts established the Hicklin test that outlined obscene to be quote tendency to deprave and corrupt those whose minds are open to such immoral influences and into whose hands a publication of this sort may fall unquote America liked this apparently and decided to use it as well by 1896 I think it's crazy that anybody could like that because <laughs> still I don't really see how that is really being super clear but then it's the law so shocker there all right but we're getting into some really interesting stuff here so we're back to the 1920s when when really interesting stuff started to happen just due to society the culture political and economic things happening in time so pornographic comic books started appearing and these were known as the Tijuana Bibles which is very interesting to me because this is not something I expected to find in my research. This is not something anybody I've told about these ever has heard of (laughs) in their life, but these apparently were big enough to really be considered part of the history of porn. These were cartoon characters drawn up in little pornographic scenes. These were very small little comic books like the the size of your palm, like little handheld ones, but they flourished during the Great Depression. They did lose their flair in the 1960s when the sex revolution began. Porn made its big comeback, and they were kind of irrelevant at that point when you have full-on porn being shown. The reason porn made its comeback and the sex revolution all of that was because Denmark became the first country to abolish censorship, censorship, therefore decriminalizing pornography, and that was in 1969. But, but... For the first two-thirds of the 20th century, however, we had what are known as stag films. Due to the censorship laws, these were produced and shown secretly, but considered to be one of the first forms of cinema, because they were screened at places like brothels and fraternities for all-male audiences. This was like really the beginning of porn and of cinema like together, which I think is super cool but observers would actually be encouraged to be vocal and they would exchange sexual banter during these show notes and and this episode wouldn't be complete without story time from ellie right so back in college my school had an organization called film scene who they would put on events for students and during my last semester they played a triple x film at the new downtown theater This was really cool and I would not even have heard of it if they hadn't, if one of my classes hadn't been like allowing them to come in and advertise it and I think it's really awesome that I went to a school that did this kind of stuff because I haven't met anybody who's been to anything like this or experienced anything like it before and it was honestly one of my best experiences in college. So we watched this old classic porno called Sex and Astrology It's super comical, and I definitely recommend watching it with friends. Make a little drinking game out of it. It's super hilarious. Basically, it just goes through different sexual natures of all the signs. And no, I definitely didn't relate to Virgo at all, but hey, they they did their best. They tried. (laughs) They put in some solid effort. The point is, though, I got to experience going to a theater and watching a triple X film, full on pornography in a crowd, in an audience. And we were all laughing. We were like, people would shout out jokes. People would make fun of it. It was obnoxious and fun and such a wholesome time. And obviously it wasn't like, you know, if you go to Pornhub and you look up some hardcore porn, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, this was, this is a classic old triple x porno i think that was made in the 70s yeah i'm pretty sure it was made in the 70s so it was one of those early on hilarious films and it was just it was a really wholesome experience where we were all kind of able to just you know enjoy something and reflect on how porn really started in the golden age how it was back then and I think it was fantastic and it was very good and it was good for me and one of my favorite things in college like I said but all right all right back to our history lesson the invention of the polaroid camera in 1948 so we're going back to photography because this is the very beginning of what later would be dubbed one of the most profitable porn categories of all time amateur porn So because of the Polaroid, people started to be able to easily take pornographic images themselves, and models for personal use, uh, or maybe even sell it, naughty, naughty. But amateur porn really doesn't blow up until the internet, until further technology advancement. But it can be traced back to the Polaroid because it made it so easy. And we all love those old Polaroid pictures, those boudoirs polaroid pictures there's something really magical about them and so really that has to get like that you know celebrated position that honorific position of being the first amateur porn I mean it has to so that's why I put that there but now let's talk about the golden age of pornography the 1960s the time when pornography would seemingly be a moment of sex sexual liberation this is when those theater releases and public viewings were thriving like my experience in college i mean in the u.s andy warhol created his famous blue movie which was the first erotic adult film to full to show full sex and it was made in 1969 so like it hit right when everything else was hitting crazy shortly after in 1979 the first gay porno was created and it was titled boys in the sand and starred Casey Donovan this has to be mentioned because it had an incredible impact on the LGBTQ plus community and it was designed for homosexual and bisexual viewers it was designed for them and that was the first time homosexual sex was displayed on the big screen it was the first time anybody had designed something for these people. You, can, you could talk about this for, for hours, how impactful this was. And obviously, it didn't fix everything, but it was the first step. So, I mean, yay porn, right? <laughs> yay porn. All right, but notably in 1989, uh, the California Supreme Court finally ruled that film sex did not count as prostitution. That's kind of important so I'm kind of shout that out but from 1977 to 1991 we saw a huge change to how porn would be consumed when the BCRs hit the market and people could buy or even just rent porn and view them at home in privacy so this is really that shift from public viewing to private viewing and if you think about how we consume porn and how what it's meant for this had huge implications huge implications but it's crazy because adult video stores just popping up really didn't know how short-lived their glory days would be right the industry started having to adapt to people's weird desires and fantasies faster than ever because people could watch all this porn consume all this porn because of vcrs because of technology and simple sex scenes you know hit like because people were viewing these in privacy you know they could be more private with the kind of stuff they were into and so the the industry had to start expanding had to start doing more and they'd all be fighting for the biggest stars including the most taboo sexual acts you know anal sex became huge double penetration found its audience and of course it doesn't end there but that's where (laughs) that's where i'm gonna end talking about it but yeah the the sky's the limit everything started to blow up things started to get crazier and escalate. And that leads us to the beginning of the push for ethical porn, also called independent porn, feminist porn, or fair trade porn. For this episode, I am going to refer to it as ethical porn versus mainstream porn because those are the most popular terms used for these. Um, And I'm going to use that where appropriate. We're going to define ethical porn as porn made by consenting adults, made legally, Respecting the rights of performers with good working conditions and paying performers and filmmakers for their work. I do want to note that using ethical for this is somewhat problematic, and just because a porn site uses that label doesn't mean it is actually ethical. There are many ways people define it, and it's very important to do your own research wherever you're getting your porn and to make sure that it it, it aligns with your definition of ethical. All right, but back to our history lesson. Feminists of the 70s and 80s debated the morality of porn during what is called the porn wars. Some feminists campaigned against expanding the pornography industry and some feminists defended it, thus making it impossible not to include ethics and morality in the conversation. The reason it... Okay, a big reason why there was so much of a push against porn with the terminology ethic included is because, you know, there there were lots of cases of this, but the one I'm going to shout out is 1972, saw one of the first full-length pornographic, pornographic films, Deep Throat, starring Linda Lovelace, in which a doctor treats her sexual dysfunction of her clitoris actually being located at the back of her throat and her inability to orgasm because of that by prescribing basically a blowjob on his penis, okay? Later though she came out with a biography about her experience entitled It Ordeal in 1980 the biography. She discussed this experience and having been beaten and forced into performing sexual acts by her then husband and manager Chuck Trainer. This is simply one example of how there were no regulations and directors got away with a lot of mistreatment. It's not hard to imagine how a male-run and dominated industry and one pulling in so much cash would care little for performers, specifically women, and the abuse was rampant. So she came out with that. There were other performers coming coming out about being raped and beaten and forced into these things. And again, like I said way earlier in the episode, you know, this was a big negative sign uh, or side of pornography and pornographic films. And there's always going to be negativity and horrible, tragic things that happen all the time with everything. And so it's something that I can't keep out of of this episode And it's something I wouldn't want to keep out of this episode. It's very important to the history of pornography. And her story is one of the biggest, so it's a huge part of the history. Bada-bing, bada-boom, the internet is created and access to porn skyrockets. Alright, in 2002, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court held that pornography involving consenting adults is protected by the First Amendment. Even if models appear to be minors, so long as they are, in fact, of legal age. Porn changed forever. In 2004, Erica Lust, one of the loudest voices in the industry, even today, started pushing for ethical porn. She released her first indie erotic film, The Good Girl, and since has been one of the leading voices and leading the revolution for adult cinema that fights male, gay-centric mainstream porn, aims to treat and pay performers well. By 2007, the release of the iPhone and the official launch of Pornhub enter the scene, making the ease of access to porn increase from people previously having to view it on a desktop computer. Within seven months of Pornhub's launch, the site re- reached 1 million daily visits. By 2010, more than 100,000 videos had been uploaded to the site. And as of 2018, nearly 5 million videos had been uploaded. Or, in other, ter- in other ways to say it, uh, 1 million hours worth of porn. Or 115 years worth of content. That's a lot. That's a lot of porn. <laughs> Today, around 75% of consumers watch porn on their phone. Just think about it for a second. That it went from 1969, going to a theater and watching porn in, with an audience. That's the, that, that's the way. That's the way you consume porn. And then just jump to 2007, And having the ability to pull out your phone, do a quick search for Pornhub, and be watching porn, that is a fucking huge change. That is an insane change. That is massive, massive. And that's such a short time frame. Like, we go from, you know, you're watching it in an audience, you're consuming it in an audience, you're putting it in your brain so you can go home and masturbate, to you know, locking yourself in a closet and pulling it up on your phone to masturbate, that's crazy. That's crazy. A 2013 BBC article estimates that the internet is made up of 4 to 14% just pornography. Porn itself, and so that was back in 2013, <laughs> quite a while ago. Porn itself changed immensely due to technology, as we were just talking about, making it so easy for people to create. Um, their own content. So along with making it easier to consume, we have it easier to produce and, and create your own as well. And so this is where amateur really starts to come in. So much, so much of porn today is amateur, is unregulated. Phones with the cameras along with the internet made distribution almost instant. And it's so incredibly easy that applications for porn shoot permits in Los Angeles County fell by 95% just between 2012 and 2015. Nowadays, most porn has an extremely low production value. Amateur porn is so successful that produced porn started to imitate it with what is called reality pornography. Revenge porn also blew up and this is porn that you know people distribute without the performer's knowledge sometimes without always without the performer's consent intended to harm the performer also on this the ease of editing and programs like photoshop made it obviously even worse due to people putting faces of unknowing unsuspecting victims in pornographic scenes also intended to as a way to harm other people and harm their personal lives. Tube sites, curating and distributing porn videos for free is obviously also a huge hit to professionally produced porn, also pushing the market towards amateur porn as it's so much cheaper and easily easily made. Then we have membership-based platforms for sex workers and pornography to hit the markets, adding new ways to consume and to produce and distribute porn. OnlyFans was founded in 2016 by British entrepreneur Timothy Stokely, and this platform blew the fuck up, especially blew up over the 2020 pandemic, ending the fiscal year with more than 1.6 million creators, and with 82.3 million users signing up, compared to 13.5 million the year prior to 2020. Now, the pros and cons of sites like this make up a long list, one that I'm not going to go into in this episode. However, the rise of amateur porn in conjunction with something like OnlyFans does allow models to create, distribute, and price their own content in a way that hadn't been seen before and with way more personal control over what they want to create and more control in the pricing, being able to do it entirely on their own without having others involved Which is a huge step, um, which is a huge change, and um, has crazy implications for the future of porn. There's obviously a lot more that could be said, and I'm sure I missed a fuckload in the history of pornography in this episode. But the amount of chaos online when researching porn, you guys, when researching the history of porn and like the the just the sheer number of different elements that come into the history of porn. I mean, technology, ethicality, legal, financial, there's so many so many different things that to combine them all into this little timeline was quite the challenge and I hope it was worth it. Pornography, I also want to note is an incredibly controversial and difficult topic. And I'm fully aware of by bi- the bias that comes through when anyone talks about it. My bias that comes through. It's really difficult to avoid on the topic. I hope that you guys were able to extract something interesting, get some good information from this episode without turning against me too much. <laughs> some of you might feel there should have been a stronger focus on the harmful aspects, and some might feel the opposite. Maybe I didn't talk about porn in a good enough light. Maybe I talked about it in too bad of a light. I'm sure you all believe one or the other and i do apologize for not being able to take a more unbiased stance and approach but this episode again it's not intended to be an argument for or against just an overview of some history and some facts to the subjects that I already discuss on the podcast regularly. I believe having this information is a way to develop your own opinions and arm yourself for conversations surrounding the topic. If you participate in these things and doing these things, or if you participate in discussions, if you have comments, questions or concerns about this episode, extra insight, things I missed or things that I messed up, please reach out. If I was wrong about anything, Please reach out. I can clear it up. Um, we can get on a podcast episode together and clear things up together if you so choose, or I can just fix them on my own. But please, please don't hesitate to reach out. I want I want this information to be accurate. I have absolutely less knowledge than a lot of people, so if I messed up, I'm not going to be hurt by you pointing that out. I'm going to be happy that you pointed out so I can fix it. All of my sources. For all of the information that I got are in show notes. If you guys are actually really interested in this subject, interested in more scientific approaches, I absolutely encourage you to do your own research. And if you guys want more on porn, I recommend you check out the podcast episode, um, The Pros and Cons of Porn from the podcast, Do We Know Things? Uh, it's a podcast that has quickly become my favorite uh, in the sexual wellness and sexual information like industry i absolutely love it definitely recommend it and she talks about actually like the good parts of watching porn and the bad parts of watching porn and she talks about consumption a lot more than i do i didn't really do that at all in this episode so go check that one out also as she shouts out in her episode the really interesting podcast i just checked out the butterfly effect by john ronson it is basically on the the effects of porn by tube sites and both of these podcasts are linked in my show notes as well as always if you enjoy the podcast subscribe so you never miss an episode apple listeners i would love a rate interview from you on the note of feedback i have a new survey linked in my instagram's bio and i would love to hear what you think of the podcast as a whole what topics you're more interested in and any constructive criticism you have for me again if you liked this episode send it to a friend share it with anybody who you think who would like this subject as always go check out and follow the podcast on instagram and on twitter at SugarPussPod, pod as well as my personal accounts on instagram at it's and on twitter at it's underscore ellie ray thank you guys for listening and i will catch you next week for a new episode of sugar pussy